Welcome back, everybody. Hello. Hello. Lydia and Finn, as usual. And today we are joined by returning guest, Tanya Fitzpatrick of Align Somatics. Tanya, hello. <laughs> Welcome back from Bali. Still in Bali. We're all still jealous. Yeah, I, I have to say Bali is my home. And I was thinking about this the other day. Would I come back to Ireland? And in about 30 seconds, well, actually, it was about 10. I went, no, that's not no. going to happen. Because it is a very, very different lifestyle over here. And I'm not, you know, I, I do miss all my friends and family um, and definitely Guinness. Um, <laughs> <it's>, <laughs> the lifestyle that I have in Bali, I, I wouldn't swap it for the world. Yeah, um, well, you'll live longer and probably healthier and happier. Minus the Guinness plus the Bali, I think, yeah. Sunlight, nature, yeah. movement, yeah. immune system. Oh, so, Creamy points, minus. Minus, yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so we wanted to come on and have a, a second podcast with you because we were chatting about what is the role of yoga in this post, I want to say post-pandemic. Yeah, let's just say that. Let's just say yeah. post-pandemic mm. world that we're in now. And has that changed? Yeah, it's a, it's a thing, being a somatic educator and a somatic yoga uh, instructor, I feel that the importance of self-referencing is, is where we're at right now and is where we need to be at as teachers and it's where we need to be at as consumers. Um, I, you know, weird thing to say, a consumer of yoga, a practitioner of yoga, um, to maybe that we could have this dialogue of is uh, how relevant is doing 25 down dogs in a yoga class or 25 Surya Namaskar in a yoga class and not tapping in to the question of how are you all doing? What's going on? And giving the actual time for that introspective viewpoint to resonate. And it's not that we're going to i'm going to suggest that everybody turns their yoga classes into a a uh, a circle of check-ins but actually that it is acknowledged that we're coming back out of probably definitely the scariest time of my life mm. and how are people coming back what are they coming back to the classes with and how are people voicing that in classes uh and how are the teachers providing an inclusive situation for that to be discussed. That's really what I am feeling that I would like to talk about and, and, and get, get students and teachers to have a real think about what they're offering and, and students what they want. Yeah. Okay. So it's like, so yoga, as I understand it, certainly from my kind of discussions with Lydia and practicing with her and, and maybe seeing the difference between what she gives me, what she's, in what her intent is versus the others out in the kind of the world of yoga is that there's this relation between an emotional body and physical body and I, I mean I don't know that that's really taught in yoga teacher RYT 200 la 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 things that you see on the top of everyone's thing like are people capable of that it's really part of the process if we as yoga teachers and and students of yoga don't understand that there are subtle energetic bodies that yoga is designed to tap into and take the cover off from subtle to more obvious that's my understanding of yoga it's union of the mind and body now if emotions are moving towards um, being stuck in fight and flight and freeze anxiety has gone through the roof and we can't feel where that's manifesting itself in the physical body we're missing the point of a yoga practice yeah so and i think yoga practice is is simply just um becoming stronger more flexible and and doing more challenging poses i i kind of think that that's the the, the point of yoga has been missed that mm. that's really more of the department of a gymnasium so I feel that this idea of understanding of what we call the koshas and, and addressing each of the, of, the, of the koshas and each of the different layers, starting with the physical layer, how does this feel? How do you feel? Again, it's missing the point of yoga. Can you talk about the koshas a little bit? Well, I'll talk about the two koshas, the three koshas that I think are are. are very relevant to every everybody's daily life number one the physical kosha 
when we look at the sentence, how does that feel? Is it, is the student um, wondering, how does that feel? Does it feel stretchy? How does that feel? Do I feel weak? How does that feel? I feel kind of shit in this posture and I can't do it. And therefore I don't like yoga and this makes me feel bad. So how, how does this feel is a, a, a huge open-end question in terms of what does that make you feel? Like, are you getting to know your body? So when you are in a pose, how does that feel? Is it making you feel good? Is it making you feel bad? And if it's making you feel bad, why do you keep doing it? Mm. So it's coming down to as simple as a student understanding what is right for them and then going to a class that's right for them. So instead of a yoga practice making them feel not good, their yoga practice makes them feel good and encourages them to maybe look a little bit past what they're doing on a mat into their everyday life so that they may understand that persistent pain in my stomach is not going away. I may need to have to do something about it and that it may not be related to the physiological system of I have something wrong with my small intestine, but actually this pandemic and the amount of anxiety that I'm experiencing is creating this pain in the stomach. So that integrative um, Eastern way of looking at the mind and body as one isn't really that accepted in the West. And, and why that is, I have no idea. Well, I do understand why it is, but but as 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 I don't know. Oh. Oh, that's unusual. Hello, us. Oh, she's back. Hello, Tanya. So it isn't as well understood in the West. You back? Oh no, there's no sound. We're back? Yes. Okay. Now we're back. So it isn't as well understood in the West. That was what we got, this relationship yeah. between mind and body. That was as far, and everything else just went blank. Also, there was a sound. Was that sound that was like amazing. A, a frog or a bird? That, that's or... a bird. That's amazing. Bird. It got really rhythmical. It got like, really... I was like, I was strong between deciding like, is it a bird? Or is yeah. it like some weird internet like connection thing. where or it's like going, like, yeah. yeah. I was like, I don't even know, it's exciting. Amazing. <laughs> okay, cool, because okay. we can reference that in the world referencing in the notes. Thank you. <laughs> okay, so it isn't as well understood in the West. It's yeah. not as well understood in the West. And I think when we're looking at uh, yoga as a practice, the, the, um, the underlying current is to understand your body better so that you might be in child's pose and the child's pose might be a break from doing continuous flow. But in that child pose, it might occur to you, I don't feel that pain. That pain has mm -hmm. gone away. And then it might occur to you is, oh, I feel really relaxed. Oh, maybe my mental anguish is causing my pain. And so that you start making the little aha moments through your practice, rather than just moving through a practice without any awareness of what is happening with your body. That's really what I'm hoping that people will start looking for their a little bit deeper into their practice to understand these subtle layers that the, as I said to you, the, the, the physical kosher and the next kosher, the mental kosher are, are like intrinsically linked. Mm -hmm. So um, that to me is, is a very, very healthy practice. And in order to have that healthy practice, we need time within our practice to go there. And so if we're just doing repetition and repetition of, of movements from one thing to another, we're, we're, we're not looking inwards. We're just simply a little bit forward ahead of ourselves. What's coming next? Yeah. So how that uh, gives us information, I'm not quite sure. Yeah, I think it's interesting, isn't it? Because I think one of the big takeaways that people universally seem to say about the changes that happened during the pandemic was how beautiful it was to slow down and how it made them realise that so much of the stuff that they thought that they had to do, either in business or in their life, they actually didn't value that much and that they weren't going to go back to those things. And yet, then... As stuff has started to reopen again, suddenly there's been this re-emergence of like fast vinyasa classes and all these things, which mirror that same fast paced busyness, escape the horribleness that's inside us. Because for lots of us, we be busy as a tool to distract us from 
self-loathing or fear or anxiety or unhealed wounds or any of those things inside ourselves because as long as we keep going we don't have to feel those things and also that's how we develop our sense of self-worth we only identify our self-worth with the things that we do in the world the yeah. external things right with that thing of, well it depends on how you were brought up i guess but yeah certain but families a lot of people, yeah. certainly place a lot more value on the being busy and the being productive as opposed to the being mm stop and I think that when we have a yoga practice we have to ask ourselves what is the rest of our life look like and how does our yoga practice balance with that thing as well because if it's constantly going 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 when we come to our mat do we really need to keep going 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 or do we need to take that chance to slow down and to pause and to listen but I think for so many people and it's probably the case that it's the same for teachers and students it's really deeply uncomfortable to take those pauses and to slow down because the first time of listening the the noises that are inside are very loud and so for the teacher they need to be able to have the right instruction and the right crucible that they're creating to make that feel safe yeah it's a it's a skill that i feel that teachers build with time but if they are going and understanding um if they understand that they will find the teachers to help them build that but if they don't go there themselves if they're a teacher that just never stops and is always trying to attain the next pose the next pose well then i think it there needs to be an inquiry of of why so one of the one of the issues of not going there is the root cause of the stress becomes unresolved and once it becomes unresolved, it starts building. And once it starts building, the physiological system starts getting affected because the, the nervous system can't regulate. So you have the go, 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 and that's part of the nervous system that is fight and flight. And so you've got stress receptors that are being pushed out through the endocrine system, which are not designed to be pushed out at that time. They're designed to be pushed out when it's relevant but when it's on, when the, when, the, when the stress receptors are being pushed into the bloodstream all the time because of high levels of anxiety and the high le levels of anxiety not being able to be regulated, now we've got a problem. So we're not where the stress is now getting stuck in our system. What does it manifest? How does it manifest? And uh, I'm a big fan of the work of Gabor Mate, and he is 100% um the, the amount of papers that he has produced after 12 years of, of people working on the street he's 100 uh, percent um in the idea that stress and cancer are directly linked directly linked and so i've had first-hand experience of this and i and i believe it not that i, I i'm saying I've, I've beaten cancer and i don't have cancer but I, i've seen close people around me die of not being hurt simply just not being hurt and their cancer was all in the throat and i don't feel that it's a uh, coincidence of this particular uh, situation and so if we can't listen to ourselves in a practice that's introspective and then we're seriously missing a opportunity to get to know ourselves better and to be able to lead more balanced life and I think that's one of the things that people always ask, how can I get more balance in my life? Well, if you haven't got balance in your practice and you're striving and there's challenges and competitiveness, if child's pose is too much or shavasana is too much for you to lie down and be with yourself, there's a major problem here. And I see it across the, the yoga, whatever country I'm in, people just rolling their mats up and not doing shavasana. Mm. Like, what are you in the studio for? Because that's probably the most important pose of them all, is to actually integrate the whole practice. Yeah. You know, what, what is the whole thing about down dog? Why do people need to do all of these down dogs? Why is Shavasana not the actual accumulation of all the down dogs for that we have like 20 minutes of Shavasana to really go inward and to give ourselves time and space to sit with these feelings? Because everybody's going through, you know, a horrible time. And how can we just be a little bit more compassionate and say, I'm not doing well. And then maybe that admission is going to start rippling out into other things that, 
you know, other people can really benefit from. Yeah. Yeah. Seeing other people be real is always the best way for every that kind of ripple effect. Yeah. What, what's the third kosher? Sorry, you just you were saying it was three you were going to mention. I was like, oh, I want to know the third one. Sorry. So, yeah. So you, as you go up, so you've got the physical body, you've got the mental body, and then you start bringing it into the spiritual uh, body. And so it's the, um, you go, you look at the death of the ego on the, on the third kosher. And we look at how there is no I, there is only the universal we. So now you're looking at the, the beginning of the sound of Om and how energy is through radiating through everything. So once you can bring the mind into balance, the body into balance, the subtle energies start moving up and down through what the, the yogis used to call the, the nadis or still called the nadis which are channels. So this is when um, we look at the koshas moving into the more energetic line and looking at how we start connecting with universal energy. And so this really is looking at how we can take joy, just looking at a tree and, and, and being like, wow, look at that. And, and the, the connection of, of a human to, well, one energetic being to another energetic being and just being in awe of that. And so that itself is a beautiful practice. If you go along for a walk, how are you embodied in that? Like more and more people I see, you know, the earbuds in, texting, the phone, they're going for a walk. And I'm like, what? You're bringing your technology for a walk. And so you're <laughs> The actual, the, the balance of the circadian rhythm that, that nature gives us, that's just gone out the window. Mm. And so being locked up at home for months on end and technology being overloaded and, and craving nature, is it that we could make our practice just going for a walk and, and, and listening to the sounds of nature? Yeah. And is that third kosher as well? In terms of, is it identifiable within asana practice? I'm thinking that, is that the function, or not the function, but one of the functions of having group practice, that you're feeling this unified movement in the same way as like collective dance has that same type of connection, you know, collective unconscious sort of stuff? Yeah, I, I would believe it. it is. I would believe that energetically that when we're all sharing a practice and when we're all beginning to breathe together in a non-competitive way, mm. that it's... Uh, a, a feeling that's that's quite difficult. Oh no! I almost cut out my own. <laughs> oh no! We've lost you again. Just in case you can hear us. The feeling is quite difficult to yeah. achieve in practice. Oh. oh, she's back. Oh, there you go. Sound is off already, again. Sound I'm, is off. I'm there you go. Um, yeah. Okay. Great. We got. It's a feeling that's quite difficult to. Okay, so your camera has disappeared. Oh, there you are. Oh, weird. Yeah, you're, you're wrong. Okay. We're good. Um, so it's a feeling quite diff quite difficult to verbalize, but it's a it's a sense of presence. It's a, it's an energetic community, um, and I think that's why people love practicing together when the practice is inclusive. When the practice is not inclusive, when it's competitive, when it's too challenging, there's a different feeling. There's a totally different feeling. And how I experience this is there's a one or two classes that I go to that are one particular class I went to recently. It's a level two vinyasa. And I came in smiling at people. I had one person that smiled back at me throughout the whole class. So I, like at the beginning of the class and at the end of the class. And I thought, wow, if we can't smile at each other in yoga, mm. what, what does this mean? I, yeah. I really want, like, wow, there's something wrong here. I guess we're seeing as well a lot with Instagram, sorry, when we see yogis on Instagram, we see them on their own. We see them in individual practice. And there's a, it's very, like, I don't think I've almost ever seen a yoga post where it's a, a, a pose within a, com a community of people you know, on the same page. It's always like one person performing one pose, 
having one thought about their one life mm. you know usually trying to relate mm. to their audience or whatever but I feel like that's probably massively unhelpful as well isn't it when when Instagram is constantly reflecting back on us that there's like there's one person doing one thing mm. yeah I think it's tricky though because when you're thinking about taking photographs I and mean, you're not allowed to take photographs inside a yoga Mm. studio or like oh your group practice and then yeah. get permission of everyone so again it would have to be a staged thing where you're getting like four other yoga yeah. all stand in the same poses and you do see sometimes people going like here's one version of the pose and here are modifications of the pose done by two mm. different people but again I mean there's nothing that can replicate that feeling of community and community mm. is one of those things that there's a sense that everyone knows as a teacher the difference between teaching on zoom and teaching in the studio you're reading the energy of your students when you're choosing unless you've gone in and you've like right I'm doing I don't know whatever digestive flow and then you just decide I'm doing digestive flow whatever I know that certainly for me if I'm going into a class I might have notions about what I'm going to teach but as soon as you see how people are sitting and hear how they're breathing and you're listening to the tone of their voice or whatever it is you can start to sense ah they're all really tired or they're really stressed or whatever the thing is. And then you're modifying also as you see the move throughout the class, you're realizing, oh, this level needs to be slightly different to this, or this is how I need to demonstrate this so that this person doesn't go to the nth degree of that thing or whatever that way is, you're constantly reading and assessing. And in Zoom, it's very hard because most people just have their cameras off and then you're just essentially having to do a practice that's a prescription that you've decided fits the people who you don't know who they are mm. on the other side of the screen. And I think that that's a, a really tricky thing as we move forwards because certainly where we are, the studios are only allowed to have small numbers of people. So then we've only got small numbers open or there's hybrid classes where it's being streamed by Zoom and also live at the same time the teacher's having to somehow manage both those things. Mm. And I think it's very hard for a teacher to be really, really present with their students if either they're looking at a screen or they're not in the room with them. Well, you know, I, I do believe that's a skill that's built over time and, and spending hours and hours of teaching different, different parts of the community. Um, but I think that language is an incredibly, incredibly important uh, component of, of inclusivity in a, in a yoga class, whether it's online or whether it's live. I think that I go back to this sentence that I, I miss, I, I don't hear it enough, is, is how is everybody feeling? And that just to give a little bit of uh, whether people want to talk about how they're feeling or whether that can be inspired by the teacher. Um, okay, you know, I, I'm finding it challenging as, a, as a, a teacher, if I was to have a live class and a Zoom class, that would, that, I would find that really challenging. And I think my honesty in telling the people on Zoom and the people in the class that I find this challenging is going to be super because what they need on Zoom and what they need in front of us potentially could be two different things, but we are all here as a community. Whether we're in Nebraska or whether we're in Bali or in Galway, we're all here as a collective community to help each other feel better. And so through that collective energetic acknowledgement, that's the job done. It just needs to be acknowledged that this is a difficult thing for a teacher to do. It's not that we're not acknowledging it. It is. But the fact that if we're going to say it, the students are just, I would believe the students would feel very safe and very cared for if a teacher acknowledges that this is a difficult thing and or how has anybody got suggestions what do people need that that time is actually given for students to voice i'm really struggling here and we could say okay we could if you're finding that that people are are, are uh, struggling we could do a little mini zoom class for people who are really struggling and make that class yours tell me what you need and offer a specialized class for this but I don't know if that's I think teachers are doing that with their students that they know very well but I'm not I haven't seen it in Bali uh, at all have I seen it I think I wonder when we're looking at the role of yoga now and what you said at the beginning was like if yoga is this thing where we're just doing loads and loads of movements very very fast without stopping to check in or to, to feel how does this feel in my body then maybe it, it belongs more in a gym or something like that how do we look at 
what sets yoga apart or what separates yoga from the aerobics or from any of those other kind of movement disciplines. And what I don't see a lot of is things like the yamas and the niyamas being brought into the class and talked about and taught via or anything like that. I mean, things like ahimsa. You hear people, I mean, you see people wearing it like across a t-shirt, mm. but rarely do people actually sit at the beginning of the class and go like, and today we're going to talk about one of these things that's part of yoga. And I think if as teachers, we don't bring that stuff into our classroom, then all the students see is the movement. And maybe they see pranayama and they see shavasana, but it's, it's actually not on them to have to know that. It's on us to have to bring that to the space and to share that with the students as well, to understand that difference. And those kind of learnings are really important for us to understand. Like, I remember when you guys were teaching us at one point, one of you said how whenever you feel a stretch, that's the stretch. Like you don't have to go further than the stretch as in like, if you're, yeah, I'm pretty sure it's you. I remember like, cause for me with my really tight hamstrings, like you'd be doing like a forward fold or something. And there'd be loads of people with their head like on their legs. And, and my forward fold was like here, like I'm still sitting up and I'm feeling the stretch. But I was always still in that mindset at the beginning of like, I've got to get to there for it to be the real pose. And I remember being told that it was so empowering to go like, this is the pose just as much as they're having to go to there. I only have to go to here. I'm still getting mm. the exact same benefits that they are. And that's been such an empowering tool to give in classes for people to know, like, it's not only real if you're in this contorted thing. If you're feeling it, that's where we're there to feel it. Yeah, it's it's the it's the sad truth of modern day yoga that realistically young white thin women are the ones that are making up the bulk of these classes and and contorting themselves into shapes that I'm looking at and going you'll probably be a private client of mine if you come along in in 15 years later because your lumber is just going to be blown out you're going to have a sacroiliac problem and this is this is okay this is me I've got years of experience in in human anatomy and functional movement and to, to say to like a 21 year old you will destroy yourself if you keep doing this then probably they're not going to listen too much but when they hurt themselves they will start listening but my point is the unfortunate role instagram has played in popularizing asana and the unfortunate um competitive sequencing those images have put through the younger generation of that is yoga and i need to be able to do that to practice yoga has stopped many 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 people going to yoga studios and and i have to be flexible i have to be strong i have to be thin i have to be good looking i you know all these have to be to practice something that has so many benefits that's the big problem is i have to be i can't and it's like yes you can you just have to find the right teacher and i'm wondering how much in a yoga 200 hour yoga alliance teacher training now is is this being taught it's like yes modifications but if people have the idea that that yoga is this then modifications just seem oh well i can't do it i i'm not good enough it's yeah. still going to be that paradigm yeah, yeah until we barriers, idea. i feel the barriers for change that that's like that transcends yoga and goes through all of human experience i think as well like even for instance in my little world owning a health food store people think you have to be healthy to go in the health food store because they see all the healthy looking people in there you know you're like no shit no how do we get you in there before you're healthy that's the those are the people we want to talk to like in so many people we end up like educating in our corporate wellness um programs are people who already know the stuff they know what you know palo santo is they understand what yoga is they know what vitamin c magnesium and zinc do for them you know and you're kind of like going how, how do we get past these people to the people we need to speak to like there's this awful kind of trend that that humans have to that's such a barrier to, to making any change that you think you you have to be able to do the thing before you can do the thing, which is bonkers. I mean, Shabamrita, which you spoke to on our podcast ages ago, one of the great things he said was that life is a great teacher. It gives you the exam and then it teaches you the lesson. And so and, and it's like the background. And you're like, that's actually everything in life. The exam is first and then the yeah. lesson. And that's it's like the 
it's it's our it's our approach to failure. It's our approach to what what that means. You know that, that failure is necessarily negative. That we can't do something, and that's why it's something that we won't do. Um, like I'm even seeing it with my my little nephew this weekend with the guitar and how quickly he'll give up at the guitar thing that he can't do. And I'm like, I can see that in me as well. You know, like just all you just need the nugget of like, no, it's okay. You can come here and do this thing with us and we're all doing this together and also here's a photo of me 20 years ago and i was doing this too and you know and and also like i didn't always eat like this i didn't always move like this i didn't always think like this like nobody's like a ready-made yogi or ready-made whatever yeah. health foodie guruy person yeah but not also like i didn't always but i don't always. and i don't always like, exactly currently yeah, yeah, i yeah. still don't yeah yeah like that's the thing you're learning the lessons constantly and you're working to try and bring those and integrate them into your life but mm -hmm. we all still have days where we just feel really shit or mm. where, you know, our minds worrying too much or where we go towards anxiety or where we're not centered. It's just that over time you learn the things that you need to do to help bring yourself back into balance a little bit quicker. But I think that what's happened is yoga's got this kind of like sheeny, idealized, unattainable, unattainable yeah. like ooh, wafting around, like beautiful mm. incense everywhere, looking perfect all day long. And I think as teachers, we really need to unglamorize it and make it people understand mm. that yoga is real like it's just about really being really in your body as it really is in this moment mm. in real time mm. like that's it and it's not about like putting a sheeny sheen on like and mm. actually feel perfect when I don't it's like how am I actually feeling and how can I presence that how can I presence suffering how can I presence any of these feelings in real time and sit with those things yeah, it's, it's a massive opportunity we have right now in this time for teachers to um, switch it up from um, consistent practice of asana and switch it up into we're going to use this form of asana for self-inquiry and to help with our self-inquiry to get to know ourselves better. And within that process, there may be uncomfortable uh, discoveries, but through those uncomfortable discoveries that there will be a breakthrough and that 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 is the constant um the constant cycle of yoga every time you get on your mat that there's going to be a new potentially the possibility of a new discovery of oh i can't wait bearing to hear why oh I'm, I'm on my keyboard in a really bad way oh i may need to change that and so that you could look at these discoveries every single time you get in your mat they may not come up they may be Oh my god i've just realized i hate my husband oh right i better get a divorce <laughs> <laughs> sometimes there's powerful as that <laughs> um, but you know it's it's a giant opportunity that if when and and as people go back to yoga studios that the students i really think may need to have to stand up and say uh, this is not suiting me, or can we have more? And so if they're the ones that are paying for a service and not knowing that it should be more than just a class full of asana, flick flacking around from one move to the other without really any feedback into, am I okay? How do I feel? How is my breath working? Why have I got a gazillion million things in my brain? Mm. And how can I harness all of those into a feeling of inclusive i mean inclusive i'm being in a group i feel safe i feel good or maybe i don't feel good and maybe i need to do something about it that it becomes a much bigger thing than the collective bendy sequences that are currently promoted these days as this is yoga now i know that look this isn't all yoga teachers and i, and I don't want to be somebody that's oh tanya fitzpatrick said I'm just talking about what I see when I search online classes, when I go to classes in Bali in the big yoga studios, this is the majority that I am seeing of no check-ins, just ba 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 bum, more vinyasa, more power vinyasa. And it's like, really? We're, yeah. we're gonna keep doing this same thing when we've just yeah. come out of the biggest shit show that we've ever dealt with. And we're not even gonna talk about it. Like, wow. Yeah, it's like where's where's the vulnerability in it isn't that the thing like that's kind of like because we all we're all we all have breaking points we've all had breaks everybody's you know having moments of real like low and and you know real real vulnerability to to 
both pathogens in our environment to emotional overwhelm to negative media to you know to being challenged on their beliefs about things their belief systems and i think yeah just being able to just have some nugget of vulnerability being taught as teachers to have some nugget of vulnerability in every single class would be like the thing right i think also it's about hell like if we as teachers are kind of shifting the focus to be to look at the question of like what is health like what does it mean to be healthy and that our yoga classes aren't just promoting what it is to be healthy is to look something mm. but actually to feel something yeah. and if we then just make that shift in our heads it's naturally going to trickle down into our classes but also we have to look at not trying to be all things to all people because at the moment I feel like yoga feels like it's really saturated and I think teachers are scared that they're going to lose their jobs or they're not going to make enough income so they started to go okay well people really like fitness and they really like you know core work and they do that so I'll just like do all those things in my class and then the yoga kind of gets diluted it narrows the scope as well it's yeah. constantly going towards that one front and interestingly like I had a, a, a group class with Susan Church recently where she it wasn't really a class it was just like her getting teachers together to talk about like what works and what doesn't and how are people making money and what are the things and she interviewed like thousands of teachers to find out what are the things that make people have a business that's sustainable and one of the major things was having a niche like having like a specialism and I think maybe we need to look at yoga that way and going like yoga isn't aerobics and fitness and all these other things it is a specialism and we need to stay within that lane of keeping it special and doesn't mean you also can't be a Pilates instructor or aerobics instructor or a dance if that's what you love but also just to keep the yoga as yoga mm -hmm. uh, and maybe that's something that we have to have a trust in the process of ourselves to go like when I'm teaching yoga I don't have to be trying to be every other element of, of fitness mm -hmm. at the same time. It's a real challenge for, for new yoga teachers of where they fit in with the current existing situation. And I do believe that that is going to be the, the, the near future trend of, of niching yoga. And, and one of the things that I'm seeing in is exploding is the restorative aspect of yoga, because that is what's needed, is to restore and bring back balance into the nervous system and the explosion that we've seen with uh, somatic experiencing, with trauma-related breath work. And, you know, this word trauma is just all over Bali. And I see Bali as one of the health centers of the world. And everything is trauma-informed. Tr you know, it's, it's a huge, huge thing. And so if people think that, the, um, that yoga... Oh, I, did, I, have to, I didn't get my workout. It's like, well, you may need to think about what you're coming to yoga for is, is the question. And so if we're looking at niching, that it's yoga for sports people, that that's on the class, that it's going to be a high impact class that is involved with uh, treating injuries or looking at pre-existing tightness for this typical thing. And then it could be yoga for back pain or yoga for muscular tension or yoga for that's unfortunate what we're looking for as as you know consumers that we want to kind of we don't want to put the work in we just want to go to do the thing and get it fixed and so potentially i think that uh, junior yoga teachers may need to start looking at this and looking at um, the types of people that they're getting in their classes and interviewing them and asking them what they want so they have more of a, a tailor-made sort of classes because I, I see the, the biggest downfall that I saw with the change of how yoga studios started making their money it used to be all six week class, eight week, eight week courses, and you would have your 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 group of people that you knew in those classes and they would come each week and you would go from A to Z, but mm. in a very, very linear way that made people build on each week. Now you've got multi-level classes that just do not work and they've never, ever worked because the beginners feel crap when they look at somebody else way more experienced and they're like, why can't I do that? It's like, well, your expectation of where you are right now is not actually integrated into this person has been practicing for five years or 10 years. And it's made it a very, very difficult way to teach yoga um, because it, 
realistically a, a teacher to try and handle that you need a lot of experience and knowledge of number one asana number two the uniqueness of different bodies in front of them and how to address that mm. so it's 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 difficult but i would absolutely say to any junior yoga teacher understand your niche understand where it makes you happy and then rewire your marketing for this but trauma mm. in, in in trauma in in I just trauma infused yoga. It's a weird way to say it. <laughs> trauma focused yoga of how the nervous system really starts playing up in these do, 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 go, go, go classes. That needs to be really looked at and said, actually, is that valuable right now to the students that are in, for, in front of me? If it is great, but there, if there are other students, what can I offer within my repertoire to help these students as well so that people get both sides of the coin and that the teacher may be able to uh, create another class for themselves and another rev uh, stream of revenue. Yeah, and I think, let's be honest, every single person in the world has experienced trauma over the last one, two years, whatever we want to call it. And so everyone, one thing you can know for sure is that everyone coming to your class has a level of trauma in their tissues, in their muscles, in their heart, in their mind. And whether they recognize that that is there or whether they recognize what the effects of that is, we know that we need to meet them where they're at and they are definitely there. So that's a really good place to start is acknowledging that that's the case. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it, it's the, it's one of the, um, as, I, as I teach more people within the realm of somatics, to understand that embodiment and embodiment to really get a grasp of where we're at in our own bodies and in our own minds so we can come through this somehow without it coming back to bite us in the ass 10 years in mm -hmm. 10 years time and I really feel that it is very very important for many yoga teachers now to start talking about embodying the embody and understanding the impact that that the pandemic has has played on our mind body and spirit and how to actually work with that so it can gracefully exit and mm -hmm. so we're able to process more and so the whole idea of not getting stress stuck inside you is so so important because we're seeing the suicide rates going up and mental health may not have the full answer because if it's only just mental health and the body is actually ignored that's only 50 percent of what we need to be doing and yeah. so if yoga if a yoga class can really help people begin to embody and 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 practitioners saying you know what i'm not okay and for that person to start the journey in in the very beginning of becoming okay potentially that can save them a lot of pain later on so yeah. the question is how we can become more embodied as yoga teachers and become more somatically educated of what it means to have stuck stress inside and what it means to get that stress out of our bodies yeah. so we can self-regulate so if people are looking at are listening to this and, and looking for this type of transition in their practice be it as a teacher or a practitioner student practitioner where would you advise that they start to pick into like are there books specifically i know gabber mate's when the body says no is a fantastic book to talk about that aspect of embodiment of somatic kind of whatever what stress does when it's held but um are there things specifically more yoga related that, that might be useful or resources uh from from yoga related books out now i haven't seen anything because i'm i'm much more in the um the physical psychology of stuck stress that's really mm. where i'm going to movement practices that are a little bit outside the yogic realm i think i'll go back to the book that my teacher has has written um his name is thomas hannah uh he's written reawakening the mind's body uh control and it's uh, Hannah Somatics in the lineage of Thomas Hannah. And he has taken the work of Hans Seeley, who was an endocrinologist in the 1930s. And Seeley was the one that coined stress. So the actual understanding of the physiological change within the body on a perceived threat mm -hmm. is what stress is. So it can be perceived or it can be real. 
that's what actually what stress yeah. is. You know, yeah, that's yeah, not yeah. to say that stress is bad, but prolonged reactions to stress is bad. Mm. So Thomas Hanna's book, Reawakening the Mind-Body Control, is fascinating. Yeah, there's another really good one. I don't know if you've read it, Robert Sapolsky by Zebras Don't Get Ulcers. That's awesome. Yeah, that's another that's views, awesome. and he's great. He's actually been doing the rounds on podcasts lately as well. I've never heard him before, but I read his books, and he talks a lot about that as well. And the 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 difference between short term and long term effects of stress, um, and talks yeah. a little bit about the epigenetic stuff as well, which is like that transgenerational aspect, which is the stuff that we really want to help because mm -hmm. whatever about our own lives, whatever about the cancer or heart disease or whatever that we do or don't get, but there's like seven, 10, maybe 13 generations ahead of us that are going to feel the effect of what we choose to do with our trauma now, right? Yeah, and Edith yeah. Ego's work is really, oh, yeah. really good on that as well, because she was a Holocaust survivor and she talks about like how she then became a psychologist later. Psychologist, I think. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Um, and just like a therapist. I don't know. Anyways, I, think, I always get that wrong. I think psychologist. <laughs> um, anyway, she's written two books. One is the story of her life and how she transitioned out of that. And she talks about like, her experience in the camps and then her experience afterwards. And you, you really see how actually when they were freed, or when she was freed anyway, certainly, the parts after that were almost the most traumatic mm -hmm. for her than the times in the camp, because then they were in survival, they were in that adrenaline. And then there was the time when they'd been freed and suddenly it was like, oh, and now how do we process this trauma? Mm -hmm. And her life's work has been learning how to process that trauma and to understand the difference between like processing it and just burying the diff the mm. bottom it down the bottom and she has beautiful talks and beautiful books as well that's that's so so important in terms of that word process like you know as we were kids nobody wrote a manual of how we process shit things in life no that's why, that's why not isn't it weird you think it'd be the first thing we would have done when we could speak or write on a cave wall and be like how to deal with the shit you felt today like really yeah yeah, I don't understand this at all. And I was talking about this the other day and, and you know, the manual for living a successful life, I'd love if somebody would put this on, write it and put it into a school curriculum because mm. we need it more than ever. But, you know, going into a situation in a yoga class and if we're not even given the time to connect with our natural breathing and none, none of this, you know, Ujaya business, just connect with our natural breathing connect with an understanding of, oh, wow, my breathing is a bit off, or I didn't even know my breathing was like that, not even being given the time, or to actually lie down on the ground to say, wow, my body feels tight, and to start doing unwinding practices to allow that tension to dissolve, and then to look at asana, and to be moving it into, how does that feel? Where are you holding in your body that may not be necessary, what's not working and so through that beginning of the process of listening we might be able to hear what really is the source of our problems mm. uh, and how they're being manifested in our body i think that's my big wrap up on on this uh on this podcast is is the time it takes to embody and and to go in it can't be done in in 30 seconds it no, just doesn't happen you cannot fast track that and so time is so important within a class and how that time is uh, sectioned out with what the teacher wants to teach versus what does the students need and time to go inwards is so important because how many times have you gone into a yoga class and you see people you know starting to do this and in their down dogs and up in shirsasana like, what are you doing you haven't even started and you're already halfway into the class mm. so it's a, it's a big big thing with me because i'm such a you know do so much and run around and it's like oh you're doing that thing again stop just stop yeah. and yeah. breathe and check but i know this and i know i don't do it but at least i know i don't do it and every time i catch myself i can go oh you're doing that thing again but if you don't know you're doing it how does that manifest itself in stuck stress or trauma that that becomes embodied yeah. and tanya do you are you doing group classes or individual classes or online trainings or what can people join if they want to learn from you so if they want to learn uh how to become more embodied in a somatic process i am creating a full fully immersed online teacher training course 200 hours um, i'm about to start filming 
Um, so I gave it a, a, a run last year and I did the whole thing over Zoom. And the feedback was, yes, it works, completely works. But the thing was, we were all digitally exhausted afterwards. Mm -hmm. And so what I've understood was time. I, I, I pushed loads of information and in, some, in somatic awareness, you just can't, you can't do that. And so what I'm going to do is it'll be launching next year. Um, if you just check out my IG, Align Somatics and on Facebook, I have a, a Facebook page that we regularly update. All of the classes are going to be pre-recorded and then all of the clinical work that goes along with these classes, if you so wish to do more one-to-one -one work, that's all pre-recorded. And then there's time for discussion on what people felt in those classes. Mm -hmm. That's live. There's a small amount of live work, but then all the manuals are there. So it becomes, instead of doing a section by section in three months, it becomes a nine month whole embodied process. And I feel I, after teaching this since 2014, I've now hit the nail on the head with the right amount of live and the right amount of, of online because all the feedback I've got over the years is the course is brilliant, but it's just blowing our heads off. And so yeah. this is my best. Okay, yeah, great. it sounds really good and really Doesn't exciting. Mm. Thank you for joining us again, Tanya. It was so nice to chat with you. Treat. You too. Oh, treat. You too. Thank you I guess so it just much. remains to say thank you so much to our sponsors, uh, News S Nutrition, our fantastic nutrition partners who produce fantastic plant-based, organically grown protein from peas, um, produced in fully recyclable tubs, begin to think about the environment, the pea protein they produce takes like something like 70% less water to produce. There's huge, they're making big strides in terms of thinking about their planetary impact, which we all need to do. Um, and then also to uh, Clearlight Saunas, my favorite, saunas i mean they're the only saunas i've ever owned but will ever need to own because they come with a lifetime guarantee who knew um so yeah so if you want to get an infrared sauna you want to think about how we can process actually some of that deep physiological stuff as well that can can really bury itself down in tissues uh the production of interleukin-6 which is um you can you can engage through an act through the phasic heat and phasic hyperthermia um which has been demonstrated to improve mood and and, and so there's some very progressive research uh, charles raison i think is one of the guys professors who's doing a lot of work with that heat heals that's for sure that's all i'm gonna say um but thanks very much tanya and we'll see you all soon thank you very much for watching and listening bye, bye.